0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest in best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder of QuestionMark and EVP of Industry Relations and Business Development at Lonosity, who are an assessment technology company. Today, really pleased to welcome Thomas Kirchee, who lives and works in Germany and is a psychologist and psychometrician. He's been on the Faculty of Psychology at Marbang University and written numerous textbooks. He's well versed in IT certification, having been the European education manager at the statistics Software company SAS, and he's currently a psychometrician, a senior psychometrician at the large German software company SAP. Welcome, Thomas. Welcome, Nice to having you. Thank you for having me. So what I tend to ask people at the beginning is, how did you get into
1: assessment? What, what's your story there? I psychology. We had to construct tests. When you construct tests, you have to know how to analyze them. And so, so you also need the modeling part and so on. So it's a kind of a holistic thing. So that was one, one part. Later, when I, when I joined SAS Institute, I started writing um, assessment questions uh, for, the, uh, for an exam. Um, application development. Later I worked as a standard setter, so as a subject matter expert, we were using a um, uh, yes no of method, uh, so working for Zasimia, um, so Europe, Middle East and Africa. We rolled out the certification program, so it originated in the US and we rolled it out. Um, so that's how I got into this. And then later I joined SAP as an independent consultant, later as an employee.
0: How do things work? So I think in, in, in America, I think people tend to be a little bit more siloed, say, between psychologists and psychometricians. Is that the same in Germany
1: or is things more? I have the impression it's getting as siloed, um, although I cannot really say this for, for, for certain anymore. But at this time, so psychology was primarily about methods. So when I when I studied um, yes, and um, tests are a big part of this. Um, so at this time, I also worked in, um, at the Psychological Institute, so rather learned programming and so on. And uh, that was a time, so the professor I was working with, he had published a book about, uh, so the English title would roughly be dimensions of behavior, so factor analysis, inter-individual differences, etc., cetera, et cetera, So testing was always integral to to this, and really we had to construct tests, we had to, evaluate them, and then using all different methods, etc. So, I think it's fairly natural um, that you do everything
0: there. Do you think that maybe at least that people were more broad in diff- different kinds of psychology and psychometrics, whereas in… I, I can't say this, of course.
1: Um, but, but I think, well, Heinlein, I think, once said its specialization is for insects. That's maybe a little bit uh, rough to say. but. <laughs> There are two sides on it. On the one hand, if you know the whole process from cradle to grave, I think you get a a really good picture of what what you're actually doing. And when you're designing it, you have to think about how you're going to evaluate this um, sample size, whatever. You have to think about all these things. On the other hand, of course, as with uh, many professions, uh, you can specialize. You can really specialize in their method. And at one point, you probably have to make the decision which area you want to focus on because you it's just a matter of time so you cannot spend as much time on as you want on all the things you probably want to learn so you have to to set priorities but in general i think i think it's not a bad idea to to do all the steps and maybe then pick the brains of someone who is really who can really go down the rabbit hole.
0: So a lot of advantages in being broad. So, so I think what you, the first you came into the sort of certification world was for the statistics software company SAS. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, do you want to tell me a little bit about your work with them? I had written um, some books about Zas, I had written an application to to analyze nutritional data, so it was a natural step. So, I, so after university in Marburg, to to join to to join Zas, and then I then I moved to uh, from from the German office to the European office. Yeah, and then then it sort of fell into place. So I, I really can't say it wasn't a big plan. I think I got fairly good at certain things, otherwise they probably wouldn't have picked me to write certification questions. Unless of course they needed a warm body. So I'm not too I'm not sure about this. I never really asked but.
0: <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that they, they valued you. But tell me about the SAS was there was there the SAS or was asked forgive me if I call it SAS, the certification program. Was this one of the earlier IT certification programs? Was I think this was around two thousand
1: seven or so? I no no it started back at at the end of the 1990s, so started small, and one of the, the first exams we wrote, I think there was two ones, so we had two sessions in parallel. Um, so I wrote the application development exam, and others wrote the base language exam. So, ZAS is really, really strong. I mean, um, really well, strong in statistics, and uh, you do a lot in data processing. Then you use the data set, it's a really really efficient, fast, great programming language. So you write the, the exams for this. And later they wrote more exams for the various because they, they specialized, they added things to their portfolio. So they wrote things about data mining. So exams about data mining and all sorts of stuff, etc. Um, One of the things they actually wanted to stay away from was um, going too deep into statistics because they didn't want to get into competition with uh, statistical associations, but they developed, they started it in the US and then we wrote it out to the countries in in Europe and later also Japan, I think.
0: And so one of the things I want to talk to you about is the value of certification because uh, you were involved, I know, with SAS and now with SAP and also with, with other other programs. What do you think is the key value of certification in in the software field?
1: Well, that's a good question. It's about 60 years ago that the first uh, certification exam in the IT industry has been published. So it was the CDP, I think it was 1962. So it's yeah, pretty much the same. So Certificate in Data Processing, I think it was called. The value of certification is that you have... Sort of tangible proof that somebody you don't know can do things you want this person to do. I think it's all about you don't know someone. If you know someone, for example, I know my brother, I know what he can do. I don't need him to be certified in any things because I have seen it, I've seen him learn, I have seen the stuff he, he did, etc. So why why would I ask for him? But if you don't have this luxury of knowing people, you need some kind of proxy. And certification is a proxy. But it's not the test that is important, it's what the test represents. And the tests represent um, knowledge, at least basic skills because skills need time to to develop and depending on the level of the certification it may represent quite a lot. So for instance, thinking about practical exams that take about two days, etc. So someone who does this can work under pressure, knows the stuff provided he or she passed the exam. So that is the proxy. So And that is, I think, not a bad idea that you know a little bit more. So a little bit more about this moral hazard in terms of principal agents, you know a little bit more than you would without a certificate.
0: And what's the value to an IT company? Why do SAP have a certification program? Why did SAS and why do other IT companies in your view?
1: IT companies sell software. Software is usually not out of the box. Type of software that it has to be implemented. You want this implementation to go as smoothly as possible. One parameter of this or one ingredient is well-trained consultants. If the implementation goes smoothly, then customers are happier than if it doesn't uh, go smoothly. Happier customers are like probably less likely to cancel the contracts, they are likely to continue, they're likely to churn, etc. etc. So in general. It's about increasing adoption of the software, but also providing customers with confidence that the consultants they are working with and later their employees, because it's not only consultants, can actually do the things they're paying them to do, they expect them to do without causing major damage. I'm not saying it's an all cure-it-all type of thing. But that's sort of the idea, I think. That, ma-
0: that makes good sense, is well described. So tell me a bit about what you do at SAP.
1: The certification group is, is split into three parts. So we've got the program, so we've got the operations team, and then we've got the production team. So I'm with the production team. We are developing exams so at any given time per year. We have about 150 exams, live exams. So we publish a lot. So we we write new exams. We update the exams. The software is evolving. We need to keep pace. We need to update the exams for this. So we produce them. So we've got moderators who, among other things, work with subject matter experts who write the questions, subject matter experts, trainers, consultants. So we work with them. Then personally, I do Bit of the um, moderation part so developing items with experts so I'm reviewing this stuff and so on we've got language editors native speakers who review the questions so so it's uh, conforming to SAP standards conforming to English standards and stuff like that it's not too complicated because the majority of, of our test takers probably are likely non-native speakers of English so so it, language is a, is a factor but it but it shouldn't be a highly discriminating factor in, in, in the sense so it's an enabling thing but shouldn't be that important. And then I run a lot of standard settings. So we use Enghoff, the Angoff method, modified Angoff method, analyze the exams on an ongoing basis. We also work with legal, of course, in case something not so nice happens. So we monitor the exam performance.
0: I, I believe that one of the things you are quite passionate about is how to train people in item writing, and you get involved a lot in, in item writing.
1: Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to share some of your experience in that area? When I did my first exam, we had a Golden Prometric training us a full day. And later, I heard 10, 10 years later, it was even two or three days. So that so the the item writers got a full day of training in how to write items, whatnot, and, and and stuff like that. So the first workshops we did together were on-site workshops. So we really got everybody in a workshop, of course, in, in so incurring huge costs, etc. But was a nice working environment, and we spent about half a day in in teaching folks writing questions. One of the first hurdles was was that experts actually had to accept that writing good questions is a tough job. How difficult could it be writing a question? But certification questions or the context of certification is pretty unnatural. You don't have the context of a conversation. Uh, you you don't have all these kind of things. It's it's you the screen the words, your brain, that's, well, the eyes and stuff like that, of course, but that's sort of it. Um, So you have to write very, very precise questions. There is no ambiguity. The questions are usually evaluated to be true or false. And to be fair, it has to be true or false. So you have to, to remove the ambiguity. So everything you could elaborate on, you could clarify in a conversation is something you cannot do in for certification questions. So that's what's making them a fairly unnatural exercise, writing certification questions and a really difficult question. We had the experts for two weeks typically, so we could see how they progressed, so so we could uh, fine-tune things, we could do one-on-ones and so on. It so, so etc so that worked pretty well although sometimes experts had a hard time till the end of the workshop writing precise questions sometimes they got it and so on so uh, right right away so it was kind of there were differences etc
0: well, what would you advise people other people who are trying to set up good item writing systems and things what what should they do
1: your mileage might vary or the mileage of the other moderators might vary so when we switch to um, com- completely online, Workshops. So, I think initially I tried the same approach. So, here are the do's, here are the don'ts, and so on and so on. What I realized fairly, fairly soon was, compared to the age of the universe, probably, um, that um, it was way too much. Folks just cannot remember all the rules. We had checklists prepared and everything. Folks, don't go through the checklist. You got a 10-point checklist, a 15-point checklist. Well-intentioned, but it just doesn't work. So what was working quite well for me was then to just do the basics, or not at all, to say, I'm here, let's start writing questions, and then Doing the review, doing loud thinking, so explaining why I was changing things. So, for instance, we said so 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 we came up with a, a, a cheat sheet. So here are the rules: one page of paper. Here are the rules and etc. And then write a question. Well, what is the question? What it ends in the question mark as a word order. and still sometimes experts wrote statements. All right, then okay, you know this, it's going to happen. You rewrite this. So how can we turn this into a question? So by observing and then also seeing what other experts, so they were learning from other experts as well. So the review sessions are really important. They're important for at least two reasons. One is to learn from others how they write questions, maybe better ones than they themselves do. And the second thing is the really important bit is the discussions, because it's IT. So there are many ways of doing things. So um, the discussions are really, really important. To remove ambiguities, find loopholes. Oh no, you know if you do it this way and this way, and you did it that way before, and then it comes this, and then it's, and then you do it. That's what. So that's really important, and that is. uh, I think it also takes away the pressure um, a little bit. But I never did a. Uh, survey on this. But it re- removes the, the time for the kickoff. And then we also I also do an offline review first. And I'll just write it there. So here's how I would rephrase this. Other experts can do the same thing. They rewrite it, uh, what, what other experts have done. So that's also working pretty well. So everybody can work on all the questions. Yeah. And that is um, working quite well for me, Oh, that, that sounds that sounds
0: very helpful. I think the other thing you, you've done a lot of over time is uh, standard setting. Yeah. And I think not all our listeners want to know what standard setting means. So do you want to explain what standard setting is about and, and then perhaps how you do it? At its core, it's
1: setting a cut score. So you have a test and you want to distinguish the, the folks who know enough. That's what uh, we call this: the minimally competent candidates, the sufficiently qualified candidates and so on. And those folks who do not know enough, because if everybody can, can get the certificate, it's, it's worth nothing. So people are supposed to fail who do not know enough. And that's really important. You don't want people to fail just because your questions were crap, ambiguous, etc., or whatever. So you want them to fail if they don't know enough because we are promising with a certification to the customers that they get folks who are sufficiently trained to do the job they are hired to do. So, yes, there must be a quality standard. And that's operationalized in the number of questions, the number of points you, uh, you must answer correctly, the number of points you must achieve. So that is... That is called well, the way we refer to standard setting. Now, how, how do you do that or who is doing that? Now, these are the experts. So, co-worker of mine, I, or we are also working with an external consultancy, we are the moderator. So, we are leading folks through the process. We are, we are agreeing. So, we're using the angoff method, but most methods agree first. What is the standard? So, what are we expecting folks to do? It's, the, the exam questions aren't just a bunch of I don't know, 60, 70, 80, 100, whatever questions There are grouped in, in topics that are related. So the questions are grouped into two related or they're clustered. Um, so based on, on content and stuff like that. So you ask them now, if somebody gets certified in the area of a certain topic like asset accounting, whatever, what does it mean? So what is what is the expectation that somebody should know at least, so that's the minimal uh, competent uh, um, candidate. So that's the standard. And I think it's a certification, licensure. It's 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 the same in the end. Of course, you would lo- you would want people to know everything, but to know that people would have to learn a long, 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 long time. In this time, they would not be available to the market, etc. So we have to find some balance here. So first, you do that, and then if folks did standard settings before, then. Things are a little easier. If not, then you practice the rating process because once you develop the standard, you don't know the cut score. How do you get from a qualitative description what somebody can do to, well, the percentage, the number of points, the performance in the test is going to be what? What?
0: So I think people who don't know how to do that would love to do that there's a lot of people just say well 70% is a pass mark or 80% but obviously that's wrong how do you I mean just briefly how do you do the angoff method
1: we do the angoff method so we're using modified angoff so we let the the candidate so the experts rate for each question each exam question that has been written and be subject to standard setting for each question how difficult this question would be for the minimally competent candidate. And that is a pretty, pretty difficult task because you have to imagine the minimally competent candidate, you have to be aware that it's not you, I'm asking you to gauge how difficult the question is for you, the expert, it's for the um, minimally competent candidate. So it's kind of a forecast, kind of a forecast an educated guess, ah, the question is going to be so difficult for, um, for the minimally competent candidates. Then the experts do this so after the practice round we give candidates the opportunity to go through the questions Well, giving the opportunity they have no choice they must go through all the questions we subject to standard setting and first answer this first answer this we, we don't we usually don't have the luxury of a beta phase our release cycle is so fast that doing beta exams would take longer than the release cycle of the software that's not that's pretty hard sell to the business. So it doesn't work. So that's what we do. And then, then the experts have to go through these questions. They have to answer them. If they don't score high enough, then that's it. And then they, they do the rating. And then we follow the Delphi technique. So we do three rounds of rating. The first two rounds of rating, the experts do them by themselves. So they rate the items. And then the instructions are for the second rating, when they get the solutions, they see what they did, what they how they performed and etc they the instruction is to challenge their rating again so is it really the highest the lowest is it really the rating so play devil's advocate with with you um, and then after they did it and updated the ratings we consolidate everything they see all the ratings of all the others anonymously. so they do this without knowing that behind this, user ID XYZ is this expert. So, Delphi technique, anonymity. And then they can uh, refine the ratings. We also use this as an opportunity to get qualitative feedback. We stress that standard setting, the rating is more important than quality feedback. Otherwise, folks spend way too much time on, on, on the quality feedback because it makes more fun. And once we did this, we have more items than we need. Others select the items without knowing the ratings. So we calculate stats, but only to to see because the sample size is usually quite small. The confidence intervals are really, really large. It really doesn't make a lot of sense, in my opinion. So we only look for, um, for exam items. All the experts answered wrong. We expect them to answer many of the items right. That's why they were hired to do that. So and then we provide that information. We get the selection and then we... Calculate um, the, the the cut score based on standard method. You do the. Uh you, you can look this up in size X uh, books and so on and so on so it's a pretty standard but,
0: but but essentially you get a range of experts to work out what the what they think the chances are of a minimally competent candidate of answering the question and then going through the Delphi method you you get that into a more accurate means by getting them to talk to each other and let with it and how many experts do you typically use in the standard setting well, typically, session
1: typically the average is so the average well I give you an average range that would be five or six something times fewer up to 10 mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. because above 10 it gets really difficult to to manage mm-hmm. from from a moderating point of view
0: yeah
1: yeah and also what we also try to do is to involve as many different geographies as possible so we we started to do standard setting as um, meeting three meetings in a row going through all the questions with the experts it took us three days couple of hours etc not scalable if you do so many exams, it is really not scalable. Um, and also, we didn't let them answer the questions beforehand, etc., which made a huge difference. So anyway, so the point is, um, yeah, that's what we're trying um, to do. We try to get as many as possible, but the nine or ten is, is um so I the think maximum. there's a
0: lot of interesting factors there. I think the fact that you have a very diverse group of people's standard setting, I've heard enough from other places, that's really important for a diversity. So, so that sounds like a very, very good thing to do. Mm-hmm. And this Delphi method also sounds an interesting, interesting way of doing it. Thank you for sharing. Also getting the experts to answer the questions sounds like a very good way to put them in the right frame of mind. Uh, so I think those are things other people could, could, could learn from. We're probably getting close to, to the end of our, our, our time, but I would like to talk to you a little bit about exam security. W- what, what are your thoughts on how we can uh, reduce test
1: fraud? And is, is that part of your, your job role? Okay, put it, put it this way. We analyze the exams, we find something is fishy. Okay, It's a little bit more specific than that, but anyway. So you you get get the idea. Then we do an initial search, sometimes, and then we find stuff, and then uh, sometimes legal um, buy stuff, and then we um, check other questions because when even even if you find stuff on a cheating site, it doesn't mean you find all the questions, and it doesn't even mean you find all the answers. the, The correct answers being marked correct and stuff like that. And they the cheat us. The exam side, they cheat, which is good for us. I mean, okay, I have no no mercy, no compassion for them. Anyway, so we we do this in terms of preventing this. I think no way. There's absolutely no way. The fraud can be prevented, can be stopped.
0: It can be reduced, but it can't be totally prevented.
1: It can be reduced, but you cannot yeah. win. You you, pro- you probably cannot even achieve a level playing field. But you can fight. You can fight, which is good. So, you should be putting constant pressure on them. So keep them on on on, on their toes. So whoever they they are. So that's that's one thing. So there aren't many ways of of doing this. I think there are many many. Um, Ideas like like skeleton items, like item families, so you can move, or the ideas of changing incidentals and stuff like that. Incidentals, I'm not a big fan of, but if that's possible for anything that is rule based, I think it's much easier to to do this. Like Igor did it, uh, Mark Gilles Holly's Lays program that used uh, that was used in medicine um, to to uh, combine several factoids and then create the questions uh, that's really good but so you have to be constant aware you have to communicate it I think also to set expectations right just before someone finds something on whatsapp on LinkedIn um, we find it Google uh, collab uh, Salesforce we find it everywhere so not to when the names it's like they find it on, on probably on our side as well and so on so it's really they're really smart so it's something you cannot avoid unless you shut down the internet which well, it would be a way of doing this, but it would have some side effects. I, I I'm afraid. I think so. I think so. so yeah. Um, no, you cannot win, but you have to be aware, and if possible, write new questions. Write as many new questions, which is expensive. So you have to, you have to find a balance. And not everybody. If an exam, if exam have been leaked, it does not mean that everybody is using them. So that's also the, um, something. So setting the expectations on this, but other than that, I think it's going to continue, and it's probably.
0: Yeah, it's not gonna gonna abate. Not sure. And what about the future of certification? Do you see it uh,
1: growing, changing? I think it's gonna it's gonna stay. It's probably gonna be more more practical. So you you go away from, or you you keep multiple multiple choice, multiple response items, but you do more and more practical things. Maybe it also um, can go into the direction that instead of certifying individuals, you're certifying more at the team level, group level, because that's what you do when you implement something. Then you're not just individuals you're working with others so that could also be interesting but the practical direction is I think also uh, very very important so you can really demonstrate skills because in the end what we can do in a in a in trainings is to to lay the groundwork but then if somebody wants to develop the skill he or she has to practice has to make mistakes has to learn from the feedback and so on and that's the brain hasn't changed over the past couple of 10,000 years, I'm afraid. It takes time, unless, of course, you find like in the Matrix, a program to download like the B212 helicopter program and that's it. But I'm not confident that's going to happen soon. So yes, but that is probably a direction more technical enhanced items, although I'm, I don't know how, how more validity you will get with them. They are more difficult to write and then they're more expensive. Etc., etc. So, yeah, but these could be one or some
0: ideas. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your ideas on a, a lot of different issues. I, I really enjoyed listening to it, and I hope our listeners will as well. So, thank you, everybody, for listening with us today. We appreciate your support. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, why not follow us through your favorite listening platform? Also, please reach out to me directly at john on with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the questionmark website at questionmark.com, and there's uh, lots of details of the SAP certification program. obviously, on SAP.com. And uh, please also register for our best practice webinars that we host monthly. Thank you, everyone. And please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly.